Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. I hope your week is going well. We've got a nice big holiday weekend coming up, so I hope you have fun and festive plans and a happy Independence Day in advance. I'm looking forward to it myself. We have a great show for you planned. Barbara will be joining me. She's written a six-week Bible study on surrendering. I think you'll find that great. And then Will Chesney is going to join me. He is a former Navy SEAL. And he was the dog handler for the dog Cairo, who was the only non-human soldier the night of the Osama bin Laden raid, the night he was taken down. It's going to be a great show. I hope you're off to a good start today, as am I. I would say that if we have learned anything from this pandemic that we've all been going through across the world, if it's taught us anything, it reminds us of how we are not in control. And sometimes life makes you feel like there's just more going on than you can handle. My guest, uh, Barb Bruce, has written a book called Surrendered, Letting Go and Living Like Jesus. Boy, is that a great title. And that had my attention instantly, and I wanted to learn more about it. And we have her now on the program. Barb, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much, Bill. It is good to be back with you and the audience. I know. So you wrote this this Bible. It's really a Bible study, isn't it? Which is... Um, one of my very favorite things in the whole world. So uh, you've you've got this addressed as a study, and I want to hear about the format, and is it a six-week study? It is. Uh, it's a six-week Bible study, Surrendered, Letting Go, and Living Like Jesus, uh, explores Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness and the faith examples that he gives us, as well as the Israelites, their 40 years in the wilderness, and all of the drama. So it's six weeks, it's five days a week, and I also have a teaching DVD and leader guide to accompany it that go separately. So when we uh, break this down into six weeks, I, I just, I love uh, some of the categories, you know, like number one is recognize you can't handle it. That's a good place to start. Absolutely. Throughout the Bible study, every week there's what there's a surrender principle because uh, trying to control things comes naturally to us. So at the beginning of the Bible study, I, I talk about the five control loving behaviors, Mm -hmm. but each week, the actual content of the study, I bring, I drill down into one surrender principle. And so a week one is I'm not in control of others and outcomes. And I think a lot of us go, yeah, that's kind of how we're feeling. And then week two is I choose to live by faith, not rush to follow my feelings. So as we study the different, the content each week, there's a surrender principle that becomes a takeaway and a tool to live differently. Okay. Spectacular start. Um, recognize you can't handle it and stop following your feelings because that is a tough one for a lot of people, Barb. Very much so. I mean, think about the pandemic. We had, I don't know about your home, but there was a lot of feelings during the pandemic and a lot of our feelings led us 
fought, led us to the refrigerator. <laughs> and uh, a lot of our feelings, a lot of our feelings led us to go and stockpile things. Right. So we were all in this experience together of going, we have little control over what's going on. And in though that actually is the metaphor for a spiritual wilderness season when you don't have control when the stakes are high when you're confused when you try to when you try when everything seems like it's press pause and it's in those difficult moments where we go we're either going to let go or we're going to try to fix fix things and people and force solutions. And most of us have a lot of experience with trying to fix people and force solutions and most of us know that it doesn't turn out great. So the Bible study is exactly how did Jesus live and and what does God say that will bring us hope and peace no matter our circumstances. Mm -hmm. And Barbie, you make such a powerful statement when you say, yet the wilderness season is a beautiful invitation for us to experience God in new and powerful ways. And that is so true. And sometimes we have to just recognize that we're in that middle part of a season that God is maybe going to teach us something profoundly amazing and wonderful. And that is the beauty of the wilderness, but it doesn't feel that way. And you and I have had previous conversations where I've shared about the wilderness seasons in my life. And this Bible study was actually written at the end of that long wilderness season. Uh, But one of the powerful lessons that inspired this Bible study for me was when Jesus entered the wilderness at the end of Matthew chapter three, Jesus was baptized and it was the spiritual mountaintop moment where Jesus comes out of the water and there's this voice from heaven. God, this is my son and who I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove. Jesus is there. It's like the Instagram moment that everybody would have wanted to (laughs) capture. Mm -hmm. But then the very next verse in Matthew chapter four, verse one said that the spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And that's how it can feel for us that we can have these really great seasons of life. And then all of a sudden we're like, what happened? But what I realized was even though Jesus was in the wilderness, he was not alone. He was in a place with no comfort. None of the things that he was used to, the things that made him feel good, but He had the comforter. And I believe that's the most profound thing that we can hold on to when we're in wilderness seasons. We may be without the things that make us feel comfortable, but God always sends us the comforter in the Holy Spirit to be with us and to lead us through. Mm, Barb, beautiful. Now, I know you've been doing a lot of thinking about this, so I'll ask this question because it's hard for people to trust God to take care of us even though he's promised us that he will. Why is that such a struggle? Well, because we want what we want when we want it. (laughs) Yeah, you nailed it there. Yeah, and when we aren't getting things as quickly as we want, that creates trust issues with God. And the Israelites, which are the which are the contrast to Jesus in the wilderness. I love studying the Israelites because there is this 
There's this story in Exodus chapter 16. The Israelites had been in the wilderness for just a few weeks. So they had been rescued from Egypt. God parts the Red Sea. The people walk through. And I mean, he freed them from slavery in Egypt. Like you would think that the people would be like, wow, we we can trust God. And it's just a few weeks in the wilderness. And they're like, we're hungry. We should go back to Egypt. We've been left out here to die. And if I'm God in heaven, I'm like, what is wrong with these people? I just sprung them from 400 years of slavery. But it was that they had this picture, these expectations of how they thought their lives should be. And for us, we struggle with trusting God when he doesn't meet our expectations. And so the surrendered study is about giving us space to go, what are the expectations that we've been holding on to? And how do those get in the way of us seeing God's glory? But how do we move those? And so we work through moving those expectations out of the way so that God's glory can become bigger than our story. Mm-hmm. Barb, I know you went through a wilderness season, and I know you've uh, kind of moved out of it uh, thanks uh, to God and his sovereignty in, in, in your life. Can you talk about some of the things you learned and some of the um, some of the things some of the ways God showed you his, his amazing grace. I would love to. Oh, good. Uh, one, one of the cool parts, I guess it's cool, is uh, I wrote the surrendered study at the end of a decade-long wilderness season. We had a family addiction issue, and that family addiction issue um, was painful. And it led to the end of my 26-year my marriage. And uh, at the day that you and I are talking today, um, it actually is tomorrow is the anniversary of some very, very hard decisions that I had to make. But as I was in the wilderness season, at the very beginning of it, when I was looking at a problem that I couldn't control, I tried to do all of the things to fix it. Uh, I, in the Bible study, I call them the shine, S-H-I-N-E, control-loving behaviors. The S is when you stonewall. It's when you dig your feet in. The H is when you helicopter and you micromanage people to try to get them to do what you want. The I is to interrupt and where you try to interfere with people's lives or cut them off and not listen. The N is nagging. So (laughs) self-explanatory. And the E is excessive planning. And I did all of those things because I was trying to protect what I love and fix what was broken and get it back on track. But as I was going through the wilderness season and God let me try to control all of the things there came a point at which I had to make a decision. And I summarized this in what I call the wilderness ABCs. And this is for everyone who's listening today. If you're in a season where you do not know what to do, you do not know who to believe, you feel like you can't take another step. There are three truths that I'm going to ask that you cling on to today. These, This is what anchored me during that hard time. And the ABCs are A, always believe that you're loved, that God loves you, that he is with you and that he is for you. I had to hold on to that first and foremost. The B is believe that God is for me. I had to realize that God wasn't out to get me, that the hard things that I was going through wasn't God out to get me. He was out to give me his best and his best was learning how to see him in bigger and greater ways in my life. And then the C was to challenge myself to let go of control and to trust God. 
that I had to take my hands off of the things that I was doing to try to fix or force solutions. And so those wilderness ABCs are what I clung to during that time. And let's face it, I had to cling to them during the pandemic, Bill. Oh, yeah. Mm. Mm. Such good, good, solid stuff, Barb. Let me take a little break. Barb Bruce is my guest. Her Bible study that she's written is called Surrendered. Letting Go and Living Like Jesus. You can go to barbaroos.com to learn more. We'll be back in 90 seconds. So glad to have Barb Bruce as my guest. She's been on the show before, and she's absolutely delightful. She's written a Bible study, which is a six-week course called Surrendered, and it's uh, living, uh, letting go and living like Jesus. And just having gone through her own wilderness experience, she completed this study at the end of that, and she's got a lot to uh, share with us, and she learned a lot, and it's uh, going to be a great uh, great study um, for you to do individually or to get together with a small group of people and do it. Um, I want to go back to some of the surrender principles because I know that's a big word and I appreciate that's the title of your book. Um, And the the idea that uh, some of the things that we just need to let go of in our lives, can you kind of help identify or point us in some directions as to what we kind of need to let go of if we're going to get to a place of surrender? Well, surrender for many people, it, we see the white flag and we go, well, surrender, that means you're just giving up and you're throwing your hands up and you're sitting on the sidelines. You take yourself out of the game. And that is not surrender. Uh, my oldest daughter is, she is an army captain. She went to West Point and I remember reading a lot of her papers during her military training and Surrender is actually, it's when a person looks at their circumstances in battle, a leader, and they realize that they don't have the resources to overcome the enemy. They realize that there is a high likelihood of being defeated in death. And then the third is that when, if they decide to surrender, it's their best chance at life. And so surrender isn't giving up. It's not saying, oh my gosh, I just I just throw my hands up in the air. It's not giving in. It's not taking what's less than the best, but rather surrender is giving over and saying, God, I can't, but you can, and I'm gonna let you. And, and just having this open-handed posture that, knowing that God is going to do what's best and we're going to follow him. And so as we talk about the surrender principles in the Bible study, what I wanted to do was create these practical tools that as we study the scriptures and we see and go, this is where God is calling us to be, we get a chance to practice new behaviors because Mm -hmm. surrender isn't something that we do just once. 
we have to keep practicing surrender every day. And so I am very specific in the Bible study about the different things we need to let go of. Every week, there's different letting go topics. So there's letting go of people pleasing, yeah. letting go of uh, letting go of entitlement, letting go of stuff, letting go of expectations, letting go of circumstances. If you've got adult kids who will not straighten up and fly right, we talk about how to <laughs> let go of them. Mm -hmm. So it's very, very practical, but it also is centered around in-depth study of God's Word. That's that's fantastic. Now, Barb, maybe you could say just a little bit more about this connection. I love this idea that we're the connection between our surrender, all right, and then moving forward in God's victory, because that's where we all want to be is in God's victory. Yes. The, the, the lesson for me is that surrender, when I let go of my circumstances, of my expectations, of how I thought things should be, letting go is releasing our hands from what we are trying to fix or force. But when we open our hands, that allows God to add his best into our lives. And I can look back at circumstances in my life, especially during the wilderness season. And what I wanted were things that God blessed. I wanted a restored marriage. I wanted a home that was intact. I wanted to have uh, people look at our family and go, wow, that's a great Christian family. Those were all good things that God blessed. But when I wrap my hands around them, what I was saying to God was, you have to do it my way, God. But surrender was when I had to step back and open my hands and say, God, I don't have all the answers. But what I do know is that you do and that I will trust what you say in your word, that you are that I do not have to be afraid, that I don't have to be discouraged, that I can be strong and courageous because you're going to be with me. And then at the other end of things that the scriptures say that God, he will work all things together. And that didn't mean that all things equal the happy ending. What it meant was that he would work things so that I could see him in greater and more powerful ways. And Bill, that is exactly what God has done in my life. I can't believe how through the carnage and the heartache and the loss, I could stand back and I could go, God performed miracles and he helped me see him greater. And I am more blessed than what I ever could have been if I had tried to deal with the circumstance on my own. Wow, oh, Barb, you're just blessing uh, my listeners in a huge way right now. You're just on fire. So um, I want to go back to the idea that we, you know, we've got 24 hours in the day. So if you grew up, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, but if you had in your family household an addiction, you know that you take things one day at a time. And I, I want to have you address the, the principle of just daily bread and getting our, our daily needs met and, and surrendering um, some of that to him? Well, this one is real for all of us because there is so much uncertainty in our world. And so thank you for giving me a chance because the principle of daily bread is something that, that God taught me a couple of decades ago. Uh, in In our thinking, what we want most is we want full cabinets, full gas tanks, full bank accounts, 
fully funded retirement. And that's what makes us feel secure. That's what makes us feel good. And, and what I have learned throughout time is to really embrace what Jesus said when he prayed, God, give us this day our daily bread. And what he, the symbolism of that was when the Israelites were in the wilderness and God said, I will give you bread from heaven. And that for us, we honestly, Bill, sometimes we forget that it is God is who's the one who is providing our daily needs. He is providing the job. And, and this is, this is my favorite part. I get fired up about this, especially because of the, the stay at home. When God provided for the Israelites in the wilderness, Bill, they did not have jobs. They did not have paychecks. <laughs> they did, right. they did not have anything. And God said, I will send manna from heaven. Bill, the mothers, the Israelite mothers did not even need to put their kids in the minivan to go pick up the food. God <laughs> delivered it. He <laughs> delivered it right to, in front of them. And that is the same God who is taking care of us today. We do not need paychecks. We do not need jobs. Everything can be on empty, broken, busted, and disgusted, and God can still take care of us. We just have to trust that what he is giving us for today is what we need. And, and one more thing, God told the Israelites to collect for six days and on that sixth day to collect twice as much as they needed. That even in the wilderness, God did not require his children to slave. Mm. For us in where we're at now, God he does not require his children to slave. Barb, I don't think there's a, a better time than right now to jump on this Bible study. And uh, I just want to encourage all my listeners to go to, uh, is the best place to do it at your website? Or should we... Yeah, they can, they can go to barbers.com and there there will be links to everywhere they can find the Bible study at. It's available at uh, pretty much any retailer that sells books sure. online. So, uh, all, like Target, Walmart, nice. uh, and Books A Million, Amazon, as well as your local Christian independent bookstore. Let's give them some love um, as, and Amazon and my publisher. Fantastic. Barb, thank you so much for coming back on the show. I just uh, love your enthusiasm and I, I just love your passion. And I know God has led you through a wilderness experience and you've come out uh, incredibly joyful and um, full of hope and passion, and it's just a beautiful thing. Well, thank you. I love that you and your audience, that we can all go through times like this together, that technology and airwaves, uh, that we can hold on to faith together, that you show up and you make it possible for just the message and the hope of Christ to get out there. So thank you for having me. Amen to all that. Barbara has been my guest, and her study is called Surrendered, Letting Go, and Living Like Jesus. You can go to barbaroose.com, R-O-O-S-E. We'll take a short break. We'll be right back. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue.
Welcome back to the show. Awfully glad to uh, be inviting onto the program Will Chesney. He is a uh, former Navy SEAL, and he always had a dream of becoming a SEAL. And he has also uh, written a book about a military working dog named Cairo. And I very likely could burst into tears at any time throughout this interview. I need to let all my listeners know that I got a real soft uh, spot in my heart for Cairo already. Um, and I want to hear all about him. Uh, Will has uh, written a, a book, uh, No Ordinary Dog, and it's the powerful true story of a, a SEAL team operator and, and military dog handler, and that's Will, and the dog that saved his life. Will, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. Thanks for the introduction. Yeah. Now, when you first uh, met Cairo, uh, you didn't know what kind of canine he would be, did you? I wasn't sure what your dog I would get, and there's a couple of different varieties that we use, but mostly Malin walls, but we also use uh, some Dutch Shepherds sometimes. Mm-hmm. But we ended up, on that previous deployment, I was supposed to get a dog named Falco. He was a Malin wall. Uh, unfortunately, there was a couple of bad guys uh, set up in an ambush right before we returned from that deployment. And uh, Falco, the dog's name was Falco. He uh, ended up finding those guys and um, engaging them. Uh, they, unfortunately, they killed Falco in the process, but... Uh, mm-hmm. It definitely saved somebody from getting hurt that night. Um, yeah. I was supposed to get him when I got home, but um, obviously that wasn't going to happen. So new dogs came along, and uh, it was between Cairo and Bronco. Yeah. The book, which you have, so <laughs> you know the yeah. deal. <laughs> I, I know. What, what kind of dog was Bronco? Another Malinois? It was the same. It was yeah. a Malinois. Yeah. I want to hear uh, all about Cairo because I'm so fascinated, and I want to hear about, you know, your... You grew up in Southeast Texas, and, you know, you kind of considered yourself an ordinary average student and a guy who had a dream, and uh, you don't get to become a Navy SEAL unless you've got something pretty special on the inside of you. Yeah, you definitely have to want that job. You have to want to be there, and they make you earn it, that's for sure. If anybody doesn't know, you have to go through a process called BUDS, Basic Underwater Demolition SEAL Training, and it's about six, seventh month selection process where you can leave at any time and uh, some people say it's some of the hardest military training in the world and i would have to agree with them not that i've been through all of it but uh it was pretty it was pretty tough so yeah it was fun though it was it was completely worth it it was actually you know it was hard but it was that purpose in life that i would have done for free i would have died for it was that thing that my calling that i really wanted to do and along the way i made uh some of the best friends i could ask for yeah, I uh, lived on Coronado for a while, so I would oh, oftentimes get uh, a latte um, with maybe an extra shot, and I'd look at the SEALs training, and I'd go, oh, that looks hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah Coronado's great. I love Coronado. It's a beautiful place. Yeah, it's love ab- getting back there. Absolutely the best. So uh, how many deployments had you been on uh, before you got Cairo? Um, I have a couple with four and one with the... Uh, with development group. Okay. On my first deployment with development group, I just saw how valuable of an asset the dogs were. You know, and I didn't even know that dogs were, were to the extent that dogs were utilized in the military until really that first deployment. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there's a saying in the book, you know, I remember being in the team room and somebody said, Hey, raise your hand if the dog's ever saved your life. And everybody's hand went up in the whole room pretty much. I mean, guys had multiple stories to tell. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. And that's just, you know, one, um, one group, one unit. That's these canines are used all through the military, law enforcement. They save lives every day, service animals. You know, they they do amazing things. So this just is a one canine handler story and 
it's um just sheds a light on some of the amazing things these dogs can do and what they do for us. Yeah, now I just wanted to uh, set up with my listeners just so they understand this amazing uh, uh, canine, Cairo, that we're talking about. He was one fearless warrior, and he uh, was the, the, the lone non-human U.S. soldier to raid Osama bin Laden's compound in 2011. Correct. Yeah, just, he was the only dog. Yeah. Yeah, I just want my listeners to know that he was uh, the only dog that was part of that uh, uh, attack and that uh, that night. And I, you probably can't talk too much about that. Maybe you can, but um, I'm just I'm so fascinated with uh, the fact that you, you you know you say Cairo was really a working dog. He didn't really like to play catch very much. He just wanted to work, didn't he? Well, I think all those dogs need to uh, need a job. I mean, it, and it's like any. So I tell people these days, like before you purchase a dog, do a little bit of research and know what you're getting into. You gotta have the, if it's a working dog, you might want to give them a job. If it's a husky, Doberman, you know, lab taking hunting. Um, for these dogs, they love to work. Um, Cairo was detect or trained to detect explosive and man odor. So our job that night was to do sweeps of the perimeter. He was looking for escape tunnels and booby traps, explosives, IDs. Once we felt the perimeter was secure, we moved our way <clears throat> to the inside. We did the same thing from false walls, anywhere somebody might be hiding, anything that might get somebody hurt. And then we exfilled, uh, made it back to the hangar. And, you know, a lot of the stuff I can't talk about. We had to get it approved through the Department sure. of Defense. Things are classified, but we did get it approved. And it's um, it's a great story. Cairo was shot even before that mission. I mean, the only thing that people know about Cairo these days is that, you know, they heard his name from that mission. and. There's so much more to him than that. It's he was shot before the mission. You know, a lot of unfortunately, the dogs just don't survive that a lot of the times. So the fact that he made a full recovery is, is pretty amazing. It's, yeah, uh, I was very blessed that he survived that night. Because, yeah, you know, and like that, I said Falco didn't survive. But yeah, that was not the first time, Will, that I cried reading the book. But uh, yeah. you know, I, I also want to let listeners know this is a book you got to get your hands on and read because it's an incredible story. And I, I want to ask you a little bit about just your learning curve with a dog and some of the occupational hazards and challenges that you face uh, with a, a a dog like Cairo. Yeah, the learning curve was pretty steep. I was a seal. I wasn't a dog handler. And, right. You know, you're trying to communicate with a thing that doesn't speak English, and you're asking them to do <laughs> some pretty crazy. You're like, to the bare minimum, you're asking them to go into a dark room and get into a fight with somebody twice his size and right. not let go no matter what. Um, not only that, he's got a skydive, fast rope, explosions, gunfire, slick floors, glass. I mean, you just name it. you got to put them all through this, through these tests. And um, it's a high-energy dog, high-drive dog. But, um, we went through a lot of things together. And he, was a pretty, uh, he was a pretty mellow dog through it all. Some people ask me what the difference between him and some of the other dogs were. And I like to say they had that switch. You know, that's a lot of, uh, of high-energy, a lot of motivation to do that. Um, to turn it off when you get home, some of the dogs really just can't do it as much. Tyro mm-hmm. uh, could. When we got back to the to the team room, he, we could take off his vest, vest and he turned that switch off when it wasn't when he wasn't working anymore. And he could be almost almost like a house pet. You always wow. treated him with respect, you know, because they're working dogs. You always have to treat him with respect. But um, yeah, he was a he was a real mellow boy. Yeah, and yeah. I know you were with him. 24-7, and I also understand, uh, Will, that he was a little bit of an intense snuggler and a uh, a, a blanket hog. Yeah, there was a couple bad things about him. He had terrible breath. Was like That's one thing I'd say that was, that's one bad thing about him, and uh, he didn't, 
So tell me a little bit about just the, the 24-7 demands that involve, uh, you know, feeding and grooming and exercising and, and ongoing training. I mean, because he's, he's a soldier and he's, needs to be ready to go all the time. He is. He's, um, we, we consider him a member of the family. It's a lot of work. Um, just not only the feeding and grooming, the training alone is it's consistent. You have, you have to stay up to date with your SEAL training and all of that incorporates as long as as long as well as the canine training and there's a lot that goes into it you're having to communicate with an animal pretty clearly to get him to do some some amazing things and I think the training just never stops mm-hmm. but it was really cool was, um the learning curve was steep but it allowed me to step out of my comfort zone as well yeah because you, you have to figure out ways to communicate through body language and voice inflection that, that wasn't the easiest thing for me to do sometimes so it was a great to to learn that skill and still learn to, or use it to this day, you know, communicating with other people. If you come into the room and you're putting off bad body language, you maybe just take a step back and make it a little happier. You know, they're going to feed off your emotions. It goes with your children, your employees, with your animals, you know. Yeah, well, as you were growing in your relationship with your, with Cairo, you know, there must have been a, a a trust bond that was something like almost brand new to you. Uh, given the fact that you guys were together all the time, yeah, we uh, we, we did a, our bond grew pretty quick. At first, you know, it took a couple of weeks. There's some parts in the in the book where uh, he did some things, growling and nothing that I didn't, I wasn't really sure. You know, he's he's brand new. I've only had him for a week or two, and he's a he's a working dog. You know, I don't know you very well yet. So <laughs> right. it covers a couple of those moments that it, it turns out being funny. But at the time, you know, this is a working animal. He looks like like a wolf, like a 70 pound shepherd, you know, it's like <laughs> growling at things. And, yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's very, it got very interesting, but did, you know, little did I know he was a, he was a sweet boy. Yeah. Did you have any moments, Will, where you went, uh Oh, I hope this dog likes me. Yeah. That, that moment in the book where he was growling at nothing and I wasn't sure what it was. And, you know, that got real awkward and uncomfortable. <laughs> it worked out well, but, that was one of those moments, and then the moment in the book where he broke out of his cage, and I thought he might be might have run off somewhere and be attacking who knows what. But you know, I didn't know his personality at the time. If I would have known him, I, I wouldn't have worried not even a little bit. Just knowing his personality, he just broke out, had to go do his business and get back in the cage. Yeah. <laughs> now Cairo also had that ability uh, when you were doing. You had one episode where. There was a, a child under a pile of blankets, and he was able to s- sense that child and then not harm it in any way, and then turn around and pretty much sink his teeth into the arm of a of a com- uh, of an enemy combatant. And so, he, like he's like Cairo knew right from wrong, didn't he? I mean, that night he sure did. I don't, <laughs> I don't know how to explain that. And you know, it's um, a lot of the times the dog, you know, dogs speak with their mouths, and they'll pick up pillows and blankets when they're searching, just out of frustration or habit, and. Um, I, we walked into the room. I don't know why people would leave their uh, newborn infant in, in the house, but that's what happened. And Cairo must have just sensed that the baby wasn't a threat, obviously. And like I said, his, his temperament was just really calm and, and even-tempered, so he just must have known that the baby wasn't a threat. He made his way into the other room, and he actually made it past a woman or two and engaged a man that was hiding behind 
hold of them. And yeah. we ended up neutralizing the threat. We didn't have to. We were able to capture the guy instead of instead of kill him and get information from him. Wow. Okay, well, I'm, I take a little break, but when I come back, I want to ask you what that experience is like to see your dog, your Cairo, who is trained to do what he's doing and is very good at what his job, what it's like when he sinks his teeth into an arm of somebody and you're able to take and neutralize the situation. I find this whole thing fascinating. Um, uh, Will Chesney is my guest. His book is called No Ordinary Dog. And we'll take a short break and be right back. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have Will uh, Chesney as my guest. He's a former U.S. Navy SEAL, and he's written a book called No Ordinary Dog, My Partner from the SEAL Team to the Bin Laden Raid. So uh, because I have such a fascination with dogs that have this capability, and of course I've never seen it. I've seen them jump on people and attack people in bite suits, and even that seems kind of (laughs) scary. So now the person's not in a bite suit, and the dog uh, goes after somebody I would imagine that the person is uh, in control. You're in control pretty quickly in, in, under those uh, circumstances. Yeah, we don't send them into sketchy situations and unless we just have to. We always have their back, so we're always there to be right on top of them to uh, to get them out of any harm. So but it's always a, it's a one of the training tips is like when you see a dog engaging somebody, you don't look at the dog you still have other responsibilities to take care of but it's um it's a it's an amazing sight to see a dog work and to you know i mean if, if he's engaging a bad guy those they're usually hiding and uh, they're, they're they're pretty good at doing that sometimes mm-hmm. so for the dog to find that person and engage them and allow them to show their hand and have us engage them before they can hurt one of us it's pretty it's just an amazing thing i mean every time i see it it just it just Every time we get back from the mission, guys are talking about it. It's just, you know, happy that nobody got hurt and the dog did his job and everybody came home safe. Yeah. Well, would you share with us that night that uh, Cairo took a, a bullet and you were <clears throat> yelling for him and, and uh, he came kind of walking around the wall because he couldn't jump over it and you thought yeah. maybe that was the night you were going to lose him? Yeah, it was a kind of like a circumstance where Falco was killed. The other dog I was supposed to receive... Um, two guys in that ambush site waiting for us to come in. They weren't listening. You know, we tried to get them to come out of the tree line they were in. They, obviously, they were bad, so they don't listen very well. <laughs> <laughs> um, eventually, the call was made to send the dog in, and Cairo did his job amazing. Found them. Again, they showed their hand. We engaged them, but unfortunately, in the process, Cairo was shot by them. And, uh, you know, like I said, when they get shot like that, they don't survive. Um when, he, when I finally did see him, he was shot through his chest and his leg where they had to put a plate in. And I guess since he was shot through his leg, he probably couldn't hop over that low wall that he had that he had gone over before right. entering the tree line. And he made his way all the way back around and found a break in the wall. Mm. But before he could make it all the way back, he collapsed. And I just, you know, from past experience, I just immediately thought he was gone. Um, but I was able to make my way to him. We knew what the threat was. I didn't, they didn't. The guys on the line were engaging the enemy, so I was able to make my way over to him, and another teammate was as well. And I'm really glad he did. I thank God because I'm not sure if Cairo would have pulled through. Um, I was handing him the dog. Cairo had his own medical kit, 
uh, as I was handing it to my teammate, he had to be having to be a medic. Um, it just the teamwork there was pretty flawless considering it was wow. such a bad situation. I'm taking off his vest, handing him the kit. As I'm doing that, he's getting everything ready. And as I'm putting on his muzzle, he's stuffing his hands deep into his chest. And, you know, the Cairo didn't like that very much. So he was nipping at his hands trying to get him to stop. And it was just the, Everything went very smoothly considering it was such a bad situation. The helicopter pilots risked their lives coming in to pick him up and they helped save his life. Surgeons, when we got back on base, they worked on him just like a soldier. They continued to save his life and eventually we got him to the veterinary clinic and he pulled through the night and we got him back to Texas and the great people there fully got him to fully recover. And we kept working and went on to do other great things. Mm-hmm. Tell me what emotions were racing through your mind that night. I was pretty intense. It was uh, it was very sad. I I thought I lost him. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty disheartening feeling when you thought when you see your dog collapse and you think he's dead. But it was uh, when I got to him, like I said, I saw he was still alive, so I knew there was hope. And looking back on it now, I just seeing the amazing guys that all came together and the amazing um, teamwork we did. It was just it worked. He 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 could have bled out fairly easily right then and there. And, just how everything went so smooth. We, we saved his life. When you got him to a surgeon, there was this is not a veterinary surgeon. This is a, a regular surgeon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, regular surgeon. They didn't have to work on him, but he was part of the team. We treated him like we treated him just because he was a dog. Doesn't it didn't matter. He was part of the family, part of the team. Everybody felt that way. The pilots they didn't care. They didn't have to fly in under fire and pick him up, but they did. And surgeon the surgeons didn't have to work on him either, but. He was a soldier just like we were, and they did. Oh, that is so sweet, Will. Yeah, Here, co- uh, here comes the waterworks on my end. Yeah, well, we ask these dogs to do a lot. You know, we, we better treat them with the same respect. Yeah, absolutely. And For the, sure. Yeah, the, the, the vulnerability they must have. I mean, some of them, they wear, they wear night cameras, don't they? I mean, sometimes they're equipped with vision capabilities, so you can see where they're at, right? Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes and sometimes not. Yeah, okay. Um so that was a, a long night, and, and uh, Cairo came through, and uh, in the book it said, you know, he uh, started licking your hand, and you thought, boy, I got my boy back. Yeah, it was pretty crazy how fast he recovered. I mean, I slept with him on the floor, the towel floor that whole night, because I really didn't think he would pull through. He, he looked pretty bad. Mm-hmm. I didn't think he would make it. Woke up the next morning. And before you knew it, he was wearing sunglasses, wagging his tail, had all of his tubes out. And was like, wow, that was pretty quick. But, he, you know, he took him outside for his first restroom break, and that was real slow. And I'd never seen him move so slow in my life. But just not too much later, he was just crazy how quickly he recovered. Wow, that's fantastic. So when you are uh, on a mission, and I guess uh, I don't know how long these missions last, but... You know, dogs by nature have got a lot of fight in them, a lot of uh, uh, um, energy. But like any dog, they're going to get tired, aren't they? They're going to want to eat. They're going to want to do their business. I mean, um, what kind of expectations do you have out of a working dog like Cairo? It's on the it's on the handler and the and the canine as a team. You should know your canine and his capabilities, and you know you should be able to read him like a book. If he's onto something, you should be able to know. Um, that's what he's there for, but you should also know when he's getting tired. You should know when to feed him, when to break him. Um, it's just a lot of a lot of training and effort goes into it, and you're, you're, a, you're a well-functioning team by the time you get overseas. Yeah. So um, tell me about your uh, your time in in the uh, as a SEAL too, and 
how you have come through all this. And I know that uh, President Obama wanted to meet Cairo right away. Yeah, he was. Uh, he wanted to meet him, and it was that was a that was a great time. It was an honor to be able to meet those guys, and um, it was a really cool event to do. Um, uh, yeah, a little bit about my own personal stuff. Getting, um, I did 13 years as a SEAL, and unfortunately in 2012 I was injured by hand. I guess to pretty much the end of my career, I went through a couple of years of medical, excuse me, medical um, screenings and different events. I just couldn't, I had some bad migraines, memory loss, uh, back issues, all, all kinds of different things, and uh, just wasn't feeling like my normal self and I couldn't get back to, to where I felt like I was a fully functional SEAL again. So yeah. I was medically retired in 2015. It covers a lot of that process. I'm not articulating it very well right now, but it, it does cover it a little, a little bit in the book about some of the issues that I went through getting out of the military. Mm-hmm. So the book, you know, it tells Cairo's story. You know, it's a good piece of history. It tells the truth about what he's done, brings attention to the amazing things amazing things these dogs do and then it also covers a little bit about um, some of the traumatic brain injuries TBIs and transition out of the military and some personal stuff that I went through as well yeah and so uh, appreciative of your work and your service and uh, you you now work with some people suffering from PTSD I'm trying to focus more on the traumatic brain injury side okay, I think that's a, yeah, a huge yeah. problem with us now and um, you know PTSD is also certainly an issue we lose our yeah. teammates and that's not an easy thing to deal with. But uh, the TBI is also a huge problem, I feel. And I'm trying to get into that space and see if um, where I can help. Yeah. Um, Will, what, what would you say maybe the... It's uh, one thing Cairo taught you? Oh, I'd say a lot of patience. And patience? I don't know, he taught me a lot of things. Yeah, I mean, just had to be... Yeah. To communicate with the dog, just... We, we, we did a lot of amazing things together, some things I never thought I would. I love dogs ever since I was a kid, but I never thought I would do those kinds of things with a dog. Yeah. And uh, just the training, just, just to get him to, to get to that level, you know, it takes a lot of work. And I didn't do all of that training, you know. I'm not trying to say I did. A lot of great people helped train him as well, but it took a lot to get him there and just to, to watch him and to get to be patient with the dog and communicate, communicate with him clearly what you want. And uh, it was a huge, it's a huge learning curve on my part for sure. Mm. He definitely taught me a lot more than that, but that was one of the things I learned from him for sure. Yeah, and then you were able to get Cairo after he retired, and he was your dog and, until he passed. Yes, I was. Um, I was. I had him for about a year at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a good year. We had a motorcycle with a sidecar. We'd go take trips around town. And, uh, I've seen that picture. It's fan- yeah. fantastic. Take him out on the boat. And, uh, we had a good. Uh, we had a good. He had a good retirement, and I was able to take care of him towards the end of his life. Uh, he ended up getting cancer, and that was pretty rough. Yeah. So it was it was good to be able to be there for him, and he helped me get through some pretty rough times. As I said, I was I wasn't in the best place transitioning out of the military, so yeah, having him around definitely helped. And you've got um, his remains as well, and I think you uh, have a habit of taking them everywhere you go, don't you? I do sometimes. If I'm okay. flying, I don't usually travel with him much anymore. Uh, well, yeah, he definitely goes on road trips with us still every <laughs> once in a while. He has a special place, though. I have a special place for him with. Uh, with some other teammates that lost. Yeah, that's so sweet. It's just so sweet. And do you have um, do you have a, a Malinois now? I have a couple of Malinois. I have a boy who's three, and 
we kept a, we had to set a litter, so we kept a female puppy, and she's about eight months now. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, they're a handful. I, I bet, I bet they keep you so busy. You know, yeah, yeah. Hours and hours a day they want to work, don't they? Oh yeah, you have to give them a job. Yeah, you gotta give them a job. These days, don't yeah. go out and buy a dog without doing a little bit of research, because um, if you have an apartment, you go buy a mile and you go to work for eight hours, ten hours. You come home, you're probably going to have a new apartment. Yeah, no, just yeah. because you put him in a kennel, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> right. He'll get out of that real quick. Cairo, he's called Cairo Houdini. He break out of metal kennels, no problem. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, if you buy a working dog, you might want to give him a job or at least exercise him. I mean, just because you don't, you don't have to give him like a military or uh, law enforcement job, but just give him something to do, something to keep him busy, keep his mind working and uh, get out his energy. Right, right. Yeah. Yep. Well, well, it's been really a delight uh, meeting you. Thank you so much for your story, your service to our country, and thank you for sharing the story of Cairo. I, it was for me love at first sight. The picture of him on the on the cover of your book, No Ordinary Dog. Um, it's almost you want to buy the book just to have it on your on your shelf, uh, just for that fantastic picture of Cairo. I appreciate that, and uh, thank you. Yeah, it's a, it was a great book. Uh, working with the co-writer Joe Layden was a it's a great process and we put together a great story yeah it's it's fantastic thank you so much and have a wonderful rest of the day yeah thank you for having me on you'll have a great day god bless you bet god bless to you will chesney's been my guest his book is no ordinary dog uh, my partner from the seal teams to the bin laden raid been really a great uh, show thank you for uh, supporting faith radio and listening today that wraps it up have a great night everyone i'll see you tomorrow Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.